With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Oh, Patrick Lining now has a 14-game point streak. Longest ever by a teenager in the NHL. Nathan McKinnon had a 13-game streak in 13-14. The Winnipeg Jets all over Chicago tonight. 5-1 after the first period. 5-1. Jets leading Chicago after one. Some tough news for former Oiler Matt Hendricks. He's expected to miss about six weeks with an injury for Winnipeg. Avalanche up 2-0 on the Blues in the second period. Also in the second, Panthers 2, Bruins nothing. Oilers will be at the Panthers on Saturday. Penguins and Canadians tied 3-3. In the third, the Blue Jackets are up 4-3 on the Flyers. Cam Atkinson has two goals, now 15 on the year. Capitals lead the Islanders 5-2 with 15 minutes left. And early in the third, Maple Leafs up 4-2 in Buffalo. Coming up later tonight, Nashville at Arizona, Detroit at L.A., Raptors have nosed ahead of Indiana 89-88 with six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it looks like Kentucky will survive. Bit of a scare from number 12 Davidson in the NCAA tournament. 68-59. Kentucky now leading with a minute left. U of A Golden Bears tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. against Acadia at the national tournament. Earlier today, St. FX beat Brock 6-2. And last score in the other game, UNB leading Concordia 4-0 in the second period. UNB the number one ranked team. All right. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, you can call 780-496-0063. The text line is 630-630. Got a text here. I was talking about watching the NCAA tournament as a lad going to the U of A in the early 90s. Hey, someone someone knows what I'm all about. This texter says, ah, yes, early 90s at the U of A. Go to Earl's or Rat and watch basketball all day on the Thursday and Friday. No classes. Little smiley face. Awesome. Now, were the French fries at the uh, Student Union building as legendary as the... Uh, I don't remember. Oh, okay. I, I know in my third year, I probably kept Academy Pizza and Hub Mall in business. I have no idea if it's still there. Right. Okay. Uh, here's a. Did you know this from this uh, an unnamed text? Okay, go for it. Chris Jericho's dad played in the NHL. Yes. Who was that? Uh, Ted Irvin. Oh, cool. Played with the New York Rangers. You could probably ask Bob Stoffer on how mean of a player terrible Ted Irvin was. <laughs> All right. There we go. All right, uh, i got to tell you this about the Oilers here. Ty Ratty has been called up from the farm, played a couple games with the Oilers earlier this year. Kiro Maximoff has been signed to his entry-level contract. 
He plays for the Niagara Ice Dogs in the Ontario Hockey League. Matt Young hosts a show called Ice Dogs This Week in St. Catharines. Matt, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Not too bad. How about yourself? I am doing great. Good to have you on the show. How are things in the uh, the Niagara region <laughs> going this week? Well, you know, it's interesting. Right now they're going rather well because the team's on a winning streak. But uh, aside from that, prior to that, probably the last month, it hasn't been going so well when they dropped 11 straight games. So kind of on the uh, other side of things right now, heading into the playoffs. And if there's a time of year to be hot, this is it. Wow, 11 straight. That's, was that all in regulation or did they uh, sniff out a few loser points in there? There were a couple loser points in there, but for the most part, it was regulation. And the worst part about it is, it's not like you're being blown out or anything like that. There's a lot of one or two goal games in there with empty netters. So they were in every game. It's just the puck wouldn't, they just didn't have that extra bit of luck going for them. And well, 11 straight gets you uh, a lot of trouble in the standings. Yeah, I'll say. So, but but the Ice Dogs are in, right? Is it, is, do you know, does it look like they're going to play a certain team in the playoffs? When are you going to know that matchup? Uh, yeah, it looks like they are definitely in. Uh, right now, it's kind of a, a battle to see who's going to get fourth or fifth place between them and the Oshawa Generals. Uh, you know, and it's kind of one of those things where this weekend is going to really be the, the make or break to see who gets home ice in the first round of the playoffs between those two teams. North Bay can kind of squeak into fifth place, but the odds are very stacked against them this weekend. It's either Niagara or Oshawa in fourth and fifth. Okay. I, I know Sault Ste. Marie's having an incredible season. I don't even know if they have double digits in, in regulation losses, so their points percentage is probably over 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 80%. Who, who, I mean, after I'm going to assume we're going to label them as the favorite. Who's in the second tier maybe to, to go deep here? And, and would you put Niagara in that second tier of contending teams? Yeah, um, let's start with Sault Ste. Marie. Yeah, they still haven't lost double digits. They've got seven regulation losses on the year. Their goaltender, Matthew Vialta, doesn't have 10 regulation losses to his OHL career in two years now. So he's uh, he's absolutely stellar. And you have to label them as the prohibitive favorites by far when you don't lose more than seven games in the regular season thus far. You have, it's kind of one of those things where you look at that team and you, you see how deep they are and you can't help but think that they're definitely the favorite in the league. Uh, second tier, you're probably looking at teams like the Hamilton Bulldogs in the East, uh, the Barry Colts, who have a high-end, uh, talented player by the name of Andrei Sveshnikov, who you'll be probably hearing quite a bit about, given the Oilers' season and where they might be picking this year. So he's a really talented player, uh, just dazzling with the stick handling and you know, if anybody gets him, whoever gets him is going to be pretty lucky to have him. So in the East, it's Barry and Hamilton in my eyes. Uh, in the West, then, you know, your second tier, you're looking at the Sarnia Sting with Jordan Cairo leading the charge there. And Kitchener Rangers are also heavily involved in things. But again, in the West, you have to go through Sar- uh, Sault Ste. Marie, and that's not an easy task by any stretch of the imagination. All right, Matt Young joining us at Inside Sports, the host of Ice Dogs this week. Now, we wanted to talk to you because Kirill Maximoff having a pretty good season. He's an Oilers draft pick. He was signed to his entry-level deal today by the Oilers. Uh, Nice numbers, 33 goals, 73 points in 59 games. What can you tell us about his season, his impact? Well, you know, he kind of made an impact. He came over from the Saginaw Spirit last season in a trade, and... 
he kind of stepped in right away and filled a need for a goal scorer that they didn't have, which is kind of funny because when you look at the overall package, if you look at his numbers in Saginaw, nobody would certainly label him a goal scorer by any stretch of the imagination. But since arriving in Niagara, he's found the back of the net with regularity. Uh, he's got some good chemistry with his teammates. And he's a guy that just, you know, he really excels on the power play. He has a spot at the top of the faceoff circle that he loves to exploit his shot from. And, uh, you know, that's what they do. The, the focal point is let's get Kirill the puck on the power play and have him shoot it from the top of the circle, either the slap shot or, you know, a wrist shot. And he finds the back of the net quite a bit. The other thing about Kirill is he's, you know, he's a six foot two player and he's a Russian and Russians kind of get labeled with being soft at times or, you know, being very fancy. He's developed a bit of a mean streak this year, which he didn't have coming over last year. And he's got 70 penalty minutes on the year. He's been suspended. So he definitely likes to take the body. And, you know, it's kind of a little bit different for the average Russian player. So it's he's an interesting guy because he's talented and he uses his size to his advantage. Well, that's good to hear. I want to ask you more about that shot because... The, the, the Oilers have been crying out for a guy who can one-time the puck for several years. And, I, and you know, I, I know Max Muff's maybe still a ways away from playing in the NHL, but he could, does he have a mid-range or even long-range one-timer that can, that can find the net? Yeah, he, I mean, that's pretty much what they did for the first half of the year, you know, on the power play in Niagara. When they were using that shot before everybody's, you know, scouting department adjusted towards it, he was finding the, net, the back of the net with regularity, and their power play was top five in the league. Since the adjustment, it's kind of slow. It's kind of fallen back a little bit. But yeah, he loves to get the puck at the top of the circle and just tee it up on the one timer. So if you know, in a couple of years, you have McDavid feeding him the puck, it, it's probably could be a good combination. Just because, well, that shot is lethal when he's on. Yeah, well, that's good. That's exciting to hear for sure. So we'll keep an eye on this young man and uh, obviously watch him throughout the playoffs. Matt, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about the the market there. I'm always interested because uh, junior hockey cities, especially those without NHL teams, are, are obviously uh, can be really interesting. There can be a lot of passion for those junior teams. I know Niagara is named after the Ice Dogs are named after the region, but you're based in St. Catharines, and this was originally the Mississauga Ice Dogs that. Uh, Don Cherry started up way back in in 1996. Tell us a little bit about the the sports scene there in St. Catharines and if the Ice Dogs are the dominant team. Well, that's exactly it. You know what? They moved here. This is their 12th year in Niagara now from Mississauga, and they haven't missed the playoffs in their entire time here, which is pretty impressive when you consider the cyclical nature of junior hockey. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They do dominate the scene here sports-wise. They, when they moved here initially, they were playing in an old arena called the Jack Gatecliff Arena. It sat about 3,000 people, and it was 50, 60 years old. And when they moved here, a lot of people didn't think that uh, the you know major junior hockey would thrive in this region but it's been exactly the opposite of that i mean you, there's stories about the ownership group when they're setting up their office people are walking in going you know i'm really interested in the product but good luck you're not going to be here in three years oh wow that's too much <laughs> that that is that, that's an actual story from somebody that walked in and said that to the ownership group in the first week so, but you know what? It, it's kind of gone the opposite way. 
a couple, about four years ago, they moved out of the old Jack Gatecliff Arena. They had a state-of-the-art arena built in the downtown core in St. Catharines that seats 5,500 people. And you know what? It's sold out 80% of the time. So it's really impressive just to see what the impact is. Not only the Ice Dogs in terms of what they've done on the ice, making the playoffs all 12 years, but also what they've done for the downtown core with that arena. It's revitalized the entire downtown core. And before a game, on a game night, you know, you can walk and there's tons of restaurants all over the place. And it's pretty impressive. Hmm, a downtown arena. Where have I heard that before? Interesting stuff. <laughs> Matt, yeah, exactly. Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks for letting us know what's going on with Kirill Maximoff. And we look forward to keeping an eye on him for sure. Hope we can do this again, man. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Cool stuff there from Matt Young, host of Ice Dogs this week, and a pretty positive report on Kirill Maximoff. And, hey, he's an Oilers prospect, so we got to see how they pan out. But uh, Ostop Safin, who uh, plays in the QMJHL for the St. John Sea Dogs, we talked to their general manager, Trevor Georgie, a few days ago. Staffen got his entry-level deal. Maximoff gets his today, the 2017 draft. Hopefully... Going to be a good one for the Edmonton Oilers. They have not drafted well after the first round uh, in general, going back a long, long time. From 2016, Tyler Benson coming along for the Vancouver Giants. I think there might be some questions about Benson's speed, but not about his ability to think the game. He was a second-round pick in 2016, obviously an Edmonton kid. Uh, this year, Kyler Yamamoto was the first-round pick. Stuart Skinner, really good goaltender in the Western Hockey League in the second round. Safin, Maximoff, fourth and fifth-round picks, respectively. I mean, the Oilers got to find those guys who can shoot. And they, they, they don't all have to be first-round players. And we, I, I did a whole draft breakdown of what other teams have done. Trocek from Florida is a great example. Not a first-round pick, but he's a guy that can score. The leading scorer in the NHL this year, Nikita Kucherov, not a first-round pick. So if you can draft your own guys, bring them along, slot them in in the right area, don't ask them to do too much too soon, that's really how you build depth. Because if you're constantly chasing free agents or trying to build through trades, yeah, it might help, but it's hard to really round out your roster that way. You, you need the internal stability of guys you have drafted yourself. It is 719. You can text 63630. Phone number is 780-496-0063. Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, a lot of people talking about the Nuge lately. Looked pretty good since he's come back from injury on a line with Connor McDavid for the last few games. I think they're developing a pretty good connection here. Not so sure about Pontus Aberg on the wing, but we've we've talked about the Oilers' problem on, on the wings all season long. Pierre Dorian, general manager for the Ottawa Senators was at the game last night. I know Mark Spector wrote about the possibility of a Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Mike Hoffman deal. Bruce Garriock, who writes for the Ottawa Sun, said that he doesn't think that that's been discussed. Uh, It doesn't seem to me like that's something that's very likely to happen. I mean, Ottawa isn't a very deep team either. And to me, flat out, flat out, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a better hockey player than Mike Hoffman. I don't know what's going to happen in the summer. The Oilers have had an incredibly disappointing season. Get asked a lot, what's going to happen with Shirelli? What's going to happen with McClellan? I I don't know if everybody's going to be back. 
I don't think the team needs to be torn apart. The penalty kill is in the process of bouncing back after being horrid on home ice most of the season. It's, it's now been very good the last 13 or 14 games. Uh, power play is obviously going to need some work. I think Talbot's playing better. Hopefully he continues that in the next season. He's been a good goalie more often than not during his tenure with the Oilers. So I think you have to have some faith he can do that again. Obviously they need to make some changes. There, there are always going to be roster changes. Personally, I don't see how shipping out Ryan Nugent Hopkins makes the team better. And we've talked about this with other players, and I know there have been some tough trades that, that this year especially don't look very good. But I think going into the summer of 2016 when Taylor Hall was going to be traded, it was pretty much common knowledge that one of Nugent Hopkins, Eberly, or Hall would have to be traded. And it was Hall. And then going into last summer, I think we knew that there was a pretty good chance one of Eberly or Nugent Hopkins would be traded. But when this whole process started about the discussion of trading some of those guys, I don't really know if anybody was thinking it was going to be all three. Because they're, each player has his own strengths in his own way. And I'll say this. As soon as the Oilers hypothetically were to trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they would immediately be looking for a player like Ryan Nugent Hopkins. To me, he's become a very good all-around player. I know he was taken first overall. He's not going to put up the gaudy point totals of other first overall players like McDavid or Stamkos or, or Matthews. But he's a pretty darn good, well-rounded, intelligent hockey player. And I think we've seen that more this year than in any other season. Can you afford Dreisaitl, McDavid, and Nugent Hopkins? I think he can. The cap might go as high as $82 million next year. Maybe it goes to 78. David's contract's going to eat up a big part of that. You know, difficult trades made by Shirelli. Like I said, the, the big ones, Hall and Everly, look really bad this year. I, I get that, and I don't know how they're going to look next year. I, you can't predict the future. But it's hard to see a scenario where you trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins and you're thrilled with the return, especially given what's happened in the past. Hopefully he sticks around. Coming up to the 7.30 news, you can text 6.30, A guy who's experienced NCAA basketball mania firsthand as a player when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. texting in, he says, I think the struggles with the defense the Oilers had this year definitely had an effect on Talbot and his play. I still think Talbot is a strong number one goalie. That's Vic texting 630-630. Brad says, Reed, do you know what are the penalty kill stats since Latestu left? It appears the PK is substantially better with him gone. I would suspect the power play would also have similar improvement if Lucic were taken off of it. Such obvious player deployment is a coaching issue and high on the list of why the coaching staff should be replaced. Uh, quickly, uh, just check Brad on NHL.com. In the uh, nine games since Mark Letesti was traded, the penalty kill is at 
88%. In the last 14 games, it is now 36 for 39. So it started to improve uh, while Atestu was still here for a few games. That's that's 92.3% last 14 games for the Oilers' penalty kill. This texture says, how much of the Oilers' woes are uh, drafting? How much is the way they develop players? Look at Slepeshev or look at how many of their late-round picks are playing for other teams. The Oilers make the same mistakes over and over again. Changing uh, two of the ten in management and coaching isn't going to do anything when the other eight have been making the same mistakes over ten years. Well, they did uh, get rid of the pros, the uh, head scout a few, or the uh, director of scouting a few years ago. Uh, Alfred says uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ryan Nugent Hopkins embodies entitlement in Edmonton. For the last $36 million, how many goals has he scored? Shirelli should have traded Eberle and Nugent Hopkins for Larson. That is uh, Alfred. Because I'm sure it was that easy, Alfred. But that's probably the worst text we'll get all week. Good job, Alfred. Here's what's going on in the NHL tonight. Jets up 5-2 on the Blackhawks, late second period. Also late second, Avalanche leading the Blues 3-1. After two, Panthers up 3-0 on the Bruins. Edmonton at Florida on Saturday afternoon. Penguins and Canadians 3-3 in the third. Blue Jackets have beaten the Flyers 5-3. Cam Atkinson a hat trick. He's up to 16 goals on the season. Capitals ring up the Islanders 7-3. Maple Leafs lead the Sabres 5-2 late in the third. Predators at Coyotes still to come. Red Wings at Kings still to come. Raptors have beaten the Pacers 106-99. Raps now 51-17 on the season. NCAA tournament in full throttle this first weekend is just incredible. Steve Sir played NCAA basketball. The Edmontonian joins us on the line once again. Steve, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's good to catch up with you. Uh, Fun day. For well, I, I was going to say uh, basketball fans, but really, it's uh, it's sports fans because to to me this is just one of the greatest spectacles in sports. The greatest thing to just sit on the couch and flip channels or just see what they're going to show uh, the first round of the NCAA tournament. You uh, experienced this as an NCAA player with San Diego State and Northern Arizona, just uh, all the hype and trying to qualify and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, what's it like to? to play NCAA hoops and just try to get into that field of, it's now 68, used to be 64. I'm actually watching San Diego State try and fight back against Houston. Uh, they're down three with five minutes left, so I'm, I'm pulling for my for my former Aztecs. Uh, but you know what? It, it won. Playing NCAA basketball, it, it gets... Uh, it gets talked about in a lot of different shapes and forms. I know it's a very polarizing talk right now, given the, what's been going on in the in the media and uh, the issues that they're having as far as uh, paying players and corruption and all that sort of stuff. But when you get right down to the just basketball part, I mean, there, I don't there isn't really a better weekend for basketball fans or sports fans, and for me, than this weekend where the tournament tips off and you see all these different teams that you never see during the year. Uh, and then you see all the exciting upsets and the exciting exciting endings and and different players doing different things. Um, it's tough to get to the NCAA tournament. It's really really tough. Uh, my NAU team we lost twice in the conference final to go to the NCAA tournament. 
Uh, our conference was a mid-major conference, the Big Sky, and we only were we were a one-bid league, so we had to win our conference final tournament in order to get to the NCAA tournament. We were really good. We won our regular season both times. We lost to two good teams, and we didn't go. So it's really, really tough. And I think sometimes that gets lost, uh, just how much these guys have to put in during the year, and then also how much it just comes down to this, who's playing well at the right time. Because, man, like it's 68 teams now, but that's out of 300 and some. Right. So it, it takes a whole heck of a lot to get there. Well, you made a great point too, Steve, because... So you have to win six consecutive games to win the title. Now with the playoff games, the play-in games, seven if you're one of those. But that's pre-tournament. I mean, a lot of schools, especially in the in the uh, you know the mid the mid-major or even I guess the smaller conferences, you got to win a three or four game single elimination tournament just to get into the big civil single elimination tournament. I mean, there's so many what we refer to as you know do or die games along the way. It's it's just a a nerve-wracking, getting-hot-at-the-right-time experience. There's so much at stake. I mean, you can have a bad stretch during the season, and you might play yourself into a tough seat in your own conference tournament, and then you got to win more games, even just to be in the discussion or in the place that you put yourself that you can qualify for the tournament. Um, My San Diego State team that I was on as a freshman, we went to the NCAA tournament, and we... We were not who was picked. We had to win the conference tournament in order to go, and we beat Wyoming in the semifinal, who was very favored to be an NCAA team. We upset them, and then we beat UNLV on UNLV's floor, and they had a three that would have beat us right at the buzzer, and that qualified us. And we we had a lot of talent, but, man, it came down to us playing just really well at during that stretch had it been a couple weeks later or a couple weeks earlier, who knows if we would have found that, that, that magic touch to get us into the tournament. But you're exactly right, Reed. It's, it's, it is so tough because, I mean, man, you're, you're playing good teams every night. You're, you're, you're getting guys' best effort every night, especially when you get into the what's at stake here. So, I mean, every team's fighting, every team's scouting, every team's trying to prepare to say, like, hey, we get to the NCAA tournament. This does wonders for our recruiting, for exposure, for our program. There's so much at stake. That, that, was that O two? You you went to the tournament with San Diego State. Yeah, we uh, we we beat UNLV. Went to the tournament. We went to Chicago, Illinois, and played in the United Center where the Bulls are. And we actually got to play the University of Illinois. Oh wow! Which is basically a home game for them. It was sixteen thousand Illini fans, and they beat the hell out of us it was uh it was uh but it was a, it was an incredible experience because i mean all the hoopla all the the glitz of the show like it, it is the show you get there and, and the media and the the excitement surrounding the event um the stories the game itself it, right before us creighton upset florida and just the excitement in the arena was it was unbelievable and creighton ran off the floor and they were like you guys can do it too. You guys can <laughs> wow. do it too. And we went out there and just got smacked. So it was. Uh, I just yeah. Was, I just found the bracket. Creighton was a twelve over Florida was a five. You guys were a yeah. thirteen against Illinois four. You, you look. You only lost by twenty nine, right? Like, you know what? And that was it's a close twenty nine. Yeah, it's, like only fi- it's only fourteen and a half per half. So you know. yeah, I mean, you know, a couple calls, we were right there. The but, uh, <laughs> the the um, wasn't Steve Fisher your coach? The guy that used to coach Michigan. Absolutely, yep. Steve Fisher. 
Wow. Okay. Uh, so he was he the guy that um, took over Michigan back in '89 when they fired their coach right before the tournament, and then yeah, the- uh, Coach Fisher actually he coached his first six games as a head coach at Division One level were in the NCAA tournament and they won the tournament. Right. Uh, Bill Frieder accepted the job at Arizona State while he was still coaching at Michigan. And he told the AD, this is a very, it's a very famous story, but it's a great story. He told the AD, hey, I took the ASU job, but I'll coach Michigan through the tournament. Don't worry about it. And the AD lost it. So he fired him on the spot. And he said, we're going to have, a, it's a very famous thing. We're going to have a Michigan man coach, uh, coach University of Michigan. And, and Fish stepped in there with a great team, like Ramil Robinson, Glenn Rice. And they went to the final and they won it. The guy who actually is the head coach of San Diego State right now, Brian Dutcher, who was the lead assistant when I was there, he was with Coach Fisher in Michigan at that time, too. And uh, that catapulted them to some unbelievable stuff with Michigan with the Fab Five and and their two NCAA title games they played. And then at San Diego State, uh, Coach Fisher and Coach Dutcher have have made their own own way, but they're always going to be known for, for the... I mean, I don't know if anybody else has a more incredible start to their coaching career than six games and winning a national championship. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, that, that's a, that is a great story. Steve, sir, joining. I just got a text here, and I'm glad somebody's filling me in. Apparently there's an Edmonton kid from Harry Ainley on the Loyola, a Loyola team that beat Miami today who has a redshirt freshman. Steve, I don't know if you know about this. Yep, his, his name is Ahir Uguak. He right. transferred there from from the University of uh, New Mexico. Um I actually I picked Loyola to beat Miami today because one, the guy who's the head coach for Loyola is uh, is a Rick Majerus guy. He used to be a Rick Majerus assistant. Rick was the great coach at the University of Utah and, and St. Louis, who is like <clears throat> I think you'd be hard pressed to find a more detailed guy in any sport than Rick Majerus. It was don't set your screen here, and he'd move you a quarter of an inch and say, set your screen here. <laughs> right. So Coach Moser for Loyola is a Rick Majerus guy, so you knew they were going to be prepared. And then also, too, we got an Edmonton kid who's redshirting at Loyola Chicago. So from everything I hear, a here is going to have a chance to step in there and play next year. Um, I spent some time in the summer working out with Ahir and uh, and Coach George Hoyt over at Ainley, and uh, Ahir's got a chance to do some really cool things there. It's exciting to see his team win because next year that could be uh, – that could be a role he's filling as well. Steve, before I let you go, Steve, sir, joining us, uh, former, uh, well, I mean, uh, pro basketball player. We've talked to you about the, the three-on-three you've been a part of, but you played in the NCAA. Now, I did say earlier in the show, when I got into it, like late 80s, early 90s, you had Hurley at Duke for four years, Leitner there for four years, Augman and Johnson at UNLV for several years. Like, you got to know the teams a little bit. It seems yeah. now a lot of the big guys are one and done. And I will say, for me, that has probably lessened my interest in the tournament a, a little bit because I don't get, uh, I don't feel like I have as many uh, year-to-year storylines. What, what, where do you come down on sure. that? You know, what I like about the tournament is, sure, you get a chance to see the, the big-name guys that you read about and you hear about all year uh, competing against, you know, a variety of different different teams and, and different into different players, but one of the things that I've I've really always enjoyed because when I when I was in high school, I knew I was gonna probably wind up at a school that was a mid major school. Like that that was what I seemed as far as style would fit because you were talking about guys that maybe weren't 
as athletic or jump off the board athletic as, as the guys at the high majors, but they ran good systems, they were good shooters, good skill guys. So I paid attention to a lot of these teams to see what kind of players I could compare myself to. So even now, today, I, I love watching the mid-major guys to see, you know, these are the guys that have been around for three or four years. They may not have been as hotly recruited out of high school, but they've put in the time, they've done their due diligence, and now they're getting that chance at a high, high level to show just all that work they put in. Um, but I can level with you on that, though, Reed. I mean, it, it's hard at times when you're always watching a changing guard with, with teams. It's like if you're Kentucky. It's hard to keep track of who's at Kentucky every year because it's six or seven freshmen every year resetting itself. So um, I know on one hand it's, it, it's hard to keep track of these new names, and sometimes you, know, you, you want to have that continuation of storyline. But uh, on the other hand, the great part about the NCAA tournament is you're going to see these guys that have maybe gone unnoticed or unheralded or haven't gotten the same media attention the big dogs have, and then they get a chance to step on the stage and show they can play too. Yeah. Well, it's always fun watching this, Steve. It's great to catch up with you, man. I hope we can talk again soon. All the best, buddy. Thanks so much for having me, Reed. Take care, buddy. Steve, sir, checking in tonight. Inside Sports on Chet. 747. Quick timeout. We're coming right back. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, uh, just quickly here, I got I got a, a texture who clearly dislikes Ryan Nugent Hopkins, uh, so I just want to wrap up this point because he's incessantly texting the show. He says, Reed, you never answered my question. How many goals has Nugent Hopkins scored for $36 million? Uh, to this unnamed texture, I don't know where you're getting the number $36 million, first of all. Um, his uh, contract, $42 million over seven years. Uh, he is in year four of it, which means he's been paid $24 million. Uh, he has 73 goals. I think that's what that texture wants to know. How many goals does he have since the contract started? The answer is 73. Oilers at Panthers tomorrow. That'll be Furnace Family Oilers Hockey. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. Edmonton's Furnace Replacement Experts. 10.30 a.m. face-off show. Game will start at... Noon. That's on Saturday. Dylan Wagner plays for the Stony Plain Eagles. Eagles love talking a little senior hockey here. Dylan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. How are you doing, Reed? Doing great. Uh, what's going on in your series there with Lacombe? Uh, right now we're tied uh, 1-1 going down to Game 3 in Lacombe on Friday night. Okay, and this is a best of seven for the province? You betcha, yeah. Okay, now is it just, are, are you, if you win this, are you into the Allen Cup, or is there another regional playdown? Yeah, no, whoever wins this series is straight to uh, Rosetown, Saskatchewan to play for the Allen Cup. So okay, yeah, big, Rosetown. I love that you got the small Saskatchewan town hosting it. That's pretty cool. Uh, Dylan, you played in the Western Hockey League. Uh, you're from Duffield. No, you're actually not from Duffield. Where are you from? Uh, actually, it's a place called Keep Hills, Alberta. So that's kind of close to Wobman, right? Yeah, just kind of. South Wobbling Lake there. Okay, awesome. So you played in the dub, uh, played for Swift, Portland, and Seattle, and then you went to UBC. How did you enjoy the Canada West experience? I enjoyed it. It was uh, obviously a big, big learning curve from WHL, from being on the ice every day, from games, 72 games to 24, I believe we played at uh, CIS, so that was a little different playing games on Friday and Saturday only. Um, then obviously going to class, which is a big adjustment, uh, wasn't the fondest 
memories of UBC as a class time, but definitely uh, must must do once you're a student athlete, I guess. Right. <laughs> I love how open. Did, did you did you finish your degree? I did finish. Yeah, I actually finished uh, my bachelor in kinesiology. Actually, did not too bad in school, uh, but just definitely the hockey and other part of the college experience was a lot more fun than the schooling part, I guess. Yeah, pretty pretty big change uh, for sure. And you mentioned, yeah, you're not, you're not, your practice time all of a sudden goes way up compared to what it was in uh, in the Western Hockey League. What led you to make the decision to play senior hockey? Because that can be a pretty big commitment too, and uh, the contracts are pretty small. Like maybe you get a bucket of fries every game or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It definitely wasn't, the money definitely didn't draw me there. Um, no, I just kind of went out, uh, skated with him a couple times before I went down South to try my hand at pro hockey there and ended up getting sent back home and they uh, called me up and said there's a spot available if you want to play and I still had the itch to play hockey so I decided you know give it a try I used to grow up watching actually Stony Plain Eagles I went to high school in Stony Plain so I used to watch uh, their Bentley back when I played the Bentley Generals those big rivalry games so I kind of always kind of had a back of my mind that I, that league was there and I decided uh, what better time than to try and playing it right now so that's kind of how that happened there that's awesome and are you wearing a letter now with the eagles yeah yeah i'm a assistant captain there now well that's pretty cool in your first year they must love you well it's actually my second year oh, yeah, second year sorry okay after, yeah all right uh and uh, what kind of a player are you dylan player uh just high energy kind of four check penalty kill uh one of those role players uh might bang a couple goals in once in a while but mostly kind of just getting energy up and being very more of a defensive forward, I guess you could say, face-off guy. Okay, so you're at Lacombe tomorrow, and then you host Lacombe on Saturday, 7.30 in Stoney? Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, I know it's a very intense brand of hockey. One of my final, uh, one of the final things I covered in Lloyd Minster in 2007 was the Allen Cup in Stony Plain. Very memorable. Uh, Lloyd wound up uh, winning, so I, I know uh, the passion for senior hockey there. So it's I, I, we're kind of short for time, Dylan. We'll have to try to do this again, okay? No, for sure, yeah. That's Dylan Wagner checking in tonight from the Stony Plain Eagles. We will keep an eye on the uh, senior men's hockey and on the Allen Cup. I take a great interest in that. Uh, I want to get this text in. Neil from Red Deer says, Reed, I love your show. I'm a lifelong Oilers fan. Need to get something off my chest. I dislike the way Lucic is being attacked and crucified in the media, the public, and on shows like this. He's had a challenging year and needs to work hard to turn things around like many players on the current team. I trust management is observing those challenges and will help him turn it around or deal with it accordingly. But the eat-your-own mentality that the city and media has fueled the last few years is not productive and, to be honest, embarrassing. I'm sure it's not helping the organization going forward to attract players either. We have run past players out of here, and this approach has diminished player value, which has hurt us in trades and not to mention the organization. People outside of this city are saying it as a fan. I'm now seeing it too. Edmonton will have the kind of hockey team we deserve, so let's class it up a bit, Edmonton. That is Neil from Red Deer on the text line. Talk to you again tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.